A few weeks ago, my family took our summer shoes, Crocs, some of our lighter jackets and stuff like that, and we put it all away in storage. After all, it's winter now, right? And when you're getting up for school at 7.30 in the morning and you're going out early and there's frost on the windshield, it can be bitingly cold, so you need to be prepared. Then, of course, we had the end of this past week. Shorts and t-shirts. A nice reprieve from the cold, but also a little confusing and a little maddening. After all, we are a week from Christmas. Around these parts, we expect to have to bundle up to go outside in December. Seasons. Schmeasons. Seasons and the changing transitions between them can be a little messy and confusing. This is true not only of summer, fall, winter, and spring, but of the seasons in our lives, in our church, in our hearts. Transitions between seasons can feel haphazard at times, less buttoned up than we'd like, perhaps at times a bit confusing and off-kilter. So as a church, we plan to meet after this service to vote on dissolving this local congregation. It's been a long and hard road reaching that decision. But after much counsel and prayer, this decision seems to be the right one. And we're all handling this transition in different ways. As we enter a new season where we know the Lord will lead us in different ways to different churches... We all approach this transition wondering what's best, what's right, what's next. And it's not going to be perfectly smooth, this transition. And yet we trust that this is another transition of life seasons, which God has ordained for each one of us for our good, leading us into a new season on the way to where we're going, on the way home, on the way to heaven. A place where we'll be done transitioning, done changing, done worrying. A place where we'll be firmly established and firmly at peace. So as we tread our different paths through this season and ultimately to that final destination, how can we be confident today, especially when things look uncertain and confusing, how can we be confident that we're going to get there? That we'll arrive home when all this is said and done. That our faith will stand. That our hope will be realized. That God will bring us to himself. Is there a way to be sure our salvation will be finally completed, finally accomplished? As we disperse as a church today, God willing, what should be our big picture hope going forward? Where should we find solid ground? Well, for our last word together as a church, let's turn to the passage we've been using the past few months, this past fall, to close our worship services. And that's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church he had planted in the city of Thessalonica. Paul, up to the, 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 the last part of the letter that we're seeing today, has been encouraging that church to grow in holiness and be ready for Jesus' coming back. And now as we look at part of his concluding remarks today, we can see where he gets his confidence. 
how Paul can be sure the Thessalonians will finally be saved and prepared for Jesus' return. So follow along with me as I read for us 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, just verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Character of God, work of God. Those are our two points. Character of God and the work of God. First, we see the character of God starting there in verse 23. Paul prays for the church and he prays for their sanctification and their perseverance. But as we read and get to verse 24, we see he's basing his prayer, he's basing his desire for these Thessalonians, not on some wishful thinking or positive vibes, but on the very nature and character of God himself, who God is like and what he's like. First, Paul says God is a God of peace there in verse 23. He says, he says now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. God is the God of peace. Paul uses this attribute of God in his famous benediction at the end of Romans as well, when he says those wonderful words, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. But then in verse 24 here in verse Thessalonians 5, Paul highlights another attribute of God. He says, he who calls you is faithful. Paul says the God we follow is the God of peace and the God of faithfulness. That is, he's completely trustworthy, completely dependable. His commitment to his promises is unswerving and unchanging. He's not inconsistent or flaky or forgetful. He doesn't renege on his commitments when he sees something better that could come along. No, God is completely, utterly faithful. Throughout the Bible, we see again and again and again that even when God's people are faithless, he is faithful. In Loudoun Valley Baptist Church, God has not changed in the two millennia since the Bible was finished being written. His promises remain sure all the way to December the 19th, 2021. His love for his people, his love for you, for me, has not wavered. His purposes for his people and for Loudoun Valley Baptist Church, for each of our families, for each of our walks with the Lord, has not faltered. He's not surprised by our members meeting this afternoon. No, amazingly, we can know that even when we're confused, his plan is not. The theologian A.W. Pink, remember guys studying A.W. Pink at Percival Diner years ago? He once said, God is true. His word of promise is sure. In all his relations with his people, God is faithful. He may be safely relied upon. Listen to this. No one has ever yet really trusted him in vain. 
Loudon Valley Baptist Church is a testimony to God's faithfulness, even as we close and disperse. So I wonder how you might bear witness to God's faithfulness to you as a member of this church for however long you've been here. Your witness to his faithfulness here during this time doesn't go away when this church goes away. God hasn't changed, even when he changes us, even when he changes our circumstances. We can rest in his faithfulness. And ultimately, church, we see God's faithfulness in Jesus Christ, don't we? The God who made a promise to bring salvation to Adam back in Genesis chapter 3. Remember the, the, the serpent will have his head bruised by the seed? That promise was made good, not the next day or the next week, at least on our time, at least on Adam's time, but thousands of years later, when in the fullness of time, he sent his son, the second Adam, the better Adam, the one who would perfectly fulfill all God's promises to his people. That's faithfulness. That's what we celebrate in the season of Advent. So dear Christian, how are you seeing God's faithfulness to you today? Reflect on this attribute of the character of God. God's perfect, unfailing faithfulness is so foreign to what we're used to in our human relationships with each other. Even the best, most faithful relationships. We strive to be faithful in Christ. We, we strive, but we so often fail. We sin. We'll say things like, yeah, John, I mean, in all my experiences of him, he, he's been great. Um, there was that one time, right? Or, or we'll say you know, something like, yeah, I, he's, he's a great guy, but God is not like us, perfectly faithful. There is no part of his being that is unfaithful. He will always do what he says he will do. And this characteristic is the characteristic of God that gives Paul the confidence to say what he says about the Thessalonians here. This characteristic of God is also what can give us confidence as we enter this new season as believers and followers of Christ. God is faithful. That is who he has always been. That is who he is. That is who he always will be to you, Christian. The second thing then, and the last thing we see in this wonderful passage is the work of God. Look again in verse 23. Paul prays, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is emphasizing that our sanctification, right, our, our becoming holy like God is holy through Jesus Christ, that's what that is, is the work of God himself. The God of peace will be the one who brings ultimate peace and salvation to you, Christian. The God of peace will be the one who sees to it that his church is holy and prepared when his son returns. The God of peace will sanctify us, brothers and sisters, each one of us. That's assurance, isn't it? Now, I, I do feel the need to kind of caveat that a little bit, and I will. 
We, of course, have an active role in our sanctification and in our preparation for Jesus' return. If you go back and read the first four chapters of 1 Thessalonians, Paul's all about that. He says some really hard words about sin and holiness. But at the end of the the letter, when it's all said and done, where is the emphasis Paul is pointing to? What's the thing that he is putting in italics and underlining for the church at Thessalonica? It's not their work. It's the work of God, the faithful God. The God of peace himself will sanctify you completely. God is the one who will make sure your whole spirit and soul and body will be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's his work. Christian, in Christ, you can be sure that in the future, one day you will be glorified, forever free of sin. And wonderfully, you can know it's going to be God who will do that. The life of the Christian is full of effort. Chock full of effort. But our confidence is never in us, but in God alone. Paul knows the character of God. And so he prays not with speculative wishfulness, not with like a crystal ball, but with certain conviction. It's like what he tells the Philippians. I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's saying, church, you must be holy, and God's going to make you holy. Church, you must be blameless when Jesus comes back, and God's going to keep you until Jesus comes back. In the verses leading up to 5, 23, and 24, Paul has been emphasizing, especially the, the last part of chapter 4, the first part of chapter 5, the return of the Lord as his catalyzing motivation for the church to live in holiness. The impending return of Christ is, is kind of what he's using as like a little bit of a, of a filter, a, a focus lens on his camera. Clarifying and bringing in a clear focus for us what we're to strive for, what's going to be important. And what we see is that is holiness, Christ-likeness, readiness for his return. But now... Here at the end, Paul gives the church, still with this backdrop of Jesus' return, gives the church an amazing, profound, marvelous, awe-inspiring message of hope. Vital insurance. God will preserve you till the end. The doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is a good one. I love how R.C. Sproul would say we should often call it the preservation of the saints. Because God will keep us till the end. Who will sanctify the Thessalonians? God will. Who will keep them? God will. Who has called them? God has. Who will surely bring their salvation to completion? God will. Let me repeat that. Who will sanctify you? God will. Who will keep you? God will. Who has called you? God has. Who will surely bring your salvation to completion? God will. So church, as we move into this time of dispersion, I urge you to reflect on what you've learned here at Loudon Valley. 
to rejoice in the relationships you've formed here in this church family. I urge you, we'll talk about this a little bit more in the members meeting, but I urge you to join another church sooner rather than later. Don't put it off. Christians need the church to grow. That's why I went through eight sermons in September and October to drive that home. But as you go into this time of transition, take comfort in the character and work of God on display in these verses. He's faithful to you. He's faithful to his church. He's going to keep you all the way. If you are in Christ, if you have repented of your sin and placed your trust wholly in Jesus, God's got you. He has promised he will preserve you to the end. Your growth in holiness, your growth in sanctification, it'll never ultimately be dependent on you. Never. It'll always be dependent on the faithful one, the one who's never broken any of his promises to you. The hope you have is not based in yourself. It's based in the one who has saved you and the one whose plan for you will not be thwarted. One day... Everything about you will be holy. You won't be able to sin anymore. No more anger. No more lust. No more envy. No more anxiety. No more pride. No more fear. I think some of us can't even imagine that. But God can. And he's promised to get you there. The gospel, praise the Lord, is not give God your best and he'll do the rest. It's not God helps those who help themselves. If the gospel was that, how miserable would church be? How miserable would Christianity be? No, praise God. The gospel is Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. That's the the striking juxtaposition that Paul is painting for us. Jude paints it as well. When Jude says, within a few verses, keep yourselves in the love of God, and then finishes by saying, now may the God of, I forget the exact doxology, but may he keep you from stumbling. Right? Friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we're really glad you're here on our last Sunday. You, you need to realize, though, that following Jesus is never about doing enough good stuff to get him to love you. Following Jesus needs to first and foremost for you be about realizing you can never do enough stuff to make him love you. But when you could do nothing, he did everything. When you were stuck in your sinful rebellion, he intervened and God gave his son Jesus to live the life you and I were meant to live but couldn't. Jesus was perfectly holy and faithful. He was everything we aren't. But he came to die in our place. He came to take our death on himself, the death that was meant for us. God judged Jesus in the place of sinners. And friend, if you'll turn to him and place your trust in him, he'll forgive you. Don't keep your sins and your guilt to yourself, but cast them on Christ. If you give them to him, you'll be free. You'll be saved. You'll belong to the God of peace and faithfulness. You will never face his judgment because there will be no more judgment left for you because it was all poured out on his son on the cross. Trust in him today. In church, 
This is our last passage to consider via sermon as a congregation. What do we do with it? How should we consider the nature and work of God in this passage as we move on from this local body? Three things. And I had two points for the sermon. You've got to fit three points in there somewhere. Firstly, Christian, church member, move into this next season with humility. If the work of your salvation is finally the work of God, there's no room for your pride. You're completely dependent on the grace of God. He's not an add-on to make your life more complete. He is your life. You are spiritually alive because the, the blood of Christ flows through your veins, spiritually speaking. Because he has saved you. Your life is only your life because it's rooted in his life. And he's faithful to you. So as you move into a new season and you go to a new church and you start making friendships with new people... Resist the effort to be prideful. Maybe a church that you go to will do things a lot better than this church did. Maybe a church will do things not like you really want it to look. Resist the urge to be prideful. But as other people get to know you, strive to be someone that they will walk away being like, oh, he's a really humble guy. He's a humble, really humble. She's a really humble woman. Be marked by your humility and by how dependent you are on the character and work of God. Move into this next season with humility. Second, move into this next season with diligence. Your response to the glory of this passage that God does it all shouldn't be great. Well, that's, that's a lot easier than I've been bargaining for. God's going to do it all for me. I should just go on vacation. Vacation doesn't sound like a bad idea. But if you're thinking that this good news means you don't do anything in the Christian life, you've misunderstood what Paul is saying. The truth of this passage should work to comfort the afflicted in the church and to afflict the comfortable in the church. I've always tried to to strive to comfort the afflicted But what if you're the comfortable right now? What if you're comfortable in your sin this morning? What if you're comfortable just where you're at as a Christian? You're comfortable with the sins that hang on. You're comfortable with the spiritual disciplines that are lagging. It's just just the way it is. It's what it is is what it is. Are you at peace with being a, a... Christian who's noncommittal in certain ways, likes to keep one foot in the world, one foot in heaven, covering your bases. If so, let this passage unsettle you. Following Jesus will mean growing to be like Jesus. It will mean a growing hunger and thirst to know him and share in his suffering and look forward to his glorious return. So Christian, be diligent as God works in you. We are called to be his people, and that means we are called to be people of active faith and active obedience. God will keep you, he will make you holy, and that should drive you and propel you to work to be holy. Because the Holy Spirit's in you, and he's promised to do it. And as we disperse as a church, 
Be diligent to look for another one. You need the church if you are to continue in diligence in your faith. So get another church quickly. But in the meantime, and then as you go into that new body of believers, remember that it is God who is at work in you. Not merely as your coach, but as your savior. You can be holy because he's making you holy. What greater motivation can we have to grow in holiness than knowing that God is going to bring our salvation to completion at the return of Christ? So be humble, be diligent. Finally, as we move into this next season, Christian, be confident. Every church has a beginning and an end, except the church, capital C. And Jesus has promised to bring his church home to be with him. And so the confidence we can have as to the end game of the church should propel us forward into the uncertainty of this season. Because Christian, you can have every confidence that God will keep you until the end. He's your faithful sustainer. Even in your lowest, darkest moments, you can trust him. So do you believe that? Are you resting in that? Can you sing those hymn lyrics? For my life he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last. Christian, if you're weighed down by sin and discouragement, if you're yearning for Christ, if you're angered by your continual weakness and temptation, if you're feeling cold and distant towards God, if you're confused about church ending and where you're going to go next, and if God is even in all of this, listen to this truth. God will preserve you in that. Stake your confidence. God will keep you to the end. God will keep you until you see him face to face. You can be confident in the end game of the church. You can also be confident in the end game of your soul, Christian. As the author John Piper has put it, how do you know you will still be a Christian when you wake up in the morning and every morning until you meet Christ? The biblical answer is God will see to it. So Loudoun Valley Baptist Church, we are soon not to be Loudoun Valley Baptist Church anymore. But we're still God's. And he is faithful. And he has called each one of us to himself and to other brothers and sisters in local churches. He has called you, Christian. He will surely keep you. He is faithful. He will do it. Let's pray. Lord, you have given us a unique time. I don't know of anybody here who's gone through something exactly like this. Sure, we've left churches. We've never had a church leave. And I know it's hitting us all in different ways. 
but we trust you and your character. You're completely trustworthy. You've got us. We love you. We pray that you would be with us. We pray for, for each member of the church here today or, or uh, not able to be with us due to Christmas vacation or illness. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to each soul as they have need. And you bless us as we turn to your table in a moment. In Jesus' name, amen.